It is that time again. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by wherever you're listening. Uh, I am coming to you live from Victoria, BC. It is Tuesday night, so that means I'm here at Zone Control recording my podcast for you and your listening pleasure. If you want to get a hold of me of the show, you can. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse show. It's a lacrosse pun. That makes sense. You can also email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, comments, questions, thoughts, something you'd like me to discuss here on the show. Uh, always love talking to the fans. Had some great discussions with, with people on Facebook and on Twitter last week about some topics. And, and one of my favorite parts is actually engaging with the fans because the fans are what make the National Lacrosse League. Um, the product on the floor is number one, but without the fans, this league really is nowhere. So uh, I would love to hear from as many of you as possible and just to, you know, have good, lighthearted criticism, positive, negative debates about the game of lacrosse. That's what we're here for. It was a fairly quiet week in the National Lacrosse League with only two games in week four. And... I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about these games. Toronto at Buffalo, it wasn't like any Toronto-Buffalo game I've ever seen before. Uh, I've seen Toronto lose in Buffalo. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that there was only six minutes in penalties called that whole game. None in the first half. Like, blows my mind. I don't know how that happens between two hated rivals. And that might speak for the way... Maybe the NLL is right now. Maybe guys are holding back a bit. And that's a discussion um, that we'll get into uh, as the year goes on. Uh, something I want to kind of keep an eye on. Um, obviously, fighting is down over the years. And this point sort of relates to uh, the Vancouver game, where Vancouver lost at home for the second straight time. 14-5 to Colorado, who was up 12-3 at halftime. There's only two goals scored by each team in the second half. Uh, Toronto losing to Buffalo 12-6. Um, but the six penalties in, six minutes in penalties in that Buffalo-Toronto game, just, it, it confuses me because those two teams, like, I know they don't like each other. There is history between the two clubs, but that game just seemed to be a game that was played without physical emotion. And you can say, well, the refs kept them in line. Well, the refs didn't have to do anything to keep players in line. Because the game was just, maybe maybe it was just a very clean played game, and I get that. That's great. But where's the, where's the pushback? Where's the fight? Where's the where's the aggression in that hatred? The Vancouver Colorado game saw a consistent amount of penalties. But even in that game for Vancouver, there there was no pushback from the Vancouver Stealth. None. You're down four nothing after the first quarter. Who's coming out to start the second and grabbing somebody? Who's who's gonna go and lay a big hit on somebody? 
I mean, it's you get to a point, and I, I I've talked about this on this show and, and and in my articles. I was never a fighter. I never went looking for it. I was always on teams that had guys that do that. It wasn't part of my role. But Vancouver has guys who that's part of their role is to be tone setters. And I don't necessarily, you don't need to go and pummel some guy into the ground and get, you know, six game misconducts and just go crazy. But do something to try and change the momentum, to try to get the crowd into it, try to get your team into it. Goals help, but neither Toronto or Vancouver are scoring goals right now. And so sometimes, I know people don't like fighting. I don't like staged fights. But in this sport, fighting plays a role. And I know people are going to argue that with me. But I honestly believe that fighting plays a role, not just in policing, allowing the players to police the game themselves. Because sometimes that's needed to be done too. But now with the instigator rules that are in place, that can't happen. And so the game is changing and it's evolving and sometimes evolution is good. However, for both these two teams, like there needs to come a point where your performance isn't good enough and your play isn't good enough. So something needs to be done. And if it's late in the fourth quarter, I don't like it. Right? Because you had three other quarters and an entire game to go and take a guy's number. So I what so example in the Vancouver game, Matt Beers ends up getting an elbowing major and I'm not sure how this reads if it's two game misconducts or just one. I'm just trying to look at the board sheet here. Um does look yeah, so it's 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 a game misconduct, game misconduct. But so Beers gets an elbowing major and a game misconduct at the end of that game for an elbow on Greg Downing, where Downing was just mammoth or killing time. It was the end of the game. They were just letting the clock run out, and Beers takes a run at Downing along the sideboards. There's prior history. Sure, I get it, but in the last 10 seconds of the game, that's not the time to take a run at a guy and take an elbowing major and now risks getting a possible suspension. Because every major's looked at. They're going to look at the major. Doug Fritz and the NLL will make a decision. That usually comes out on Thursday. But Beers missed the first game because of a suspension that he got at the end of the 2014 season. And so, like, guys have emotional levels. Like, you can see that. And you can see by watching the stealth and you can see by watching the rock that there is, like, guys have heart. Guys understand what losing is. They can feel that emotion. But there comes a time where you have to hate losing more than you like winning. And I just don't know if either of these teams have that right now. No pushback from either club. And Toronto's 0-4 and Vancouver's 1-2. and and they've been blown out twice at home. That's the best time to do it. Like, And again, you're not going to do it in the fourth quarter or when the game's completely out of the reach because, you know, Colorado guy's not going to really want to be doing that at that point of the, the game. It doesn't make sense. 
That's why I don't like it when it happens at the end of the game. But for Vancouver, when you're down 4 nothing in the first, or John Grant Jr. is scoring four straight goals against you, you got to do something. Somebody. Anybody. Grab a guy, hit him. Just take a big hit, a big interference call. Set the tone. Do something. Please. Do something. And, you know... Uh, Two games ago, two home games at the LEC watching the stealth, I heard Kyle Sorensen yelling every shift. Like, constantly yelling at his defense. And then they go to Saskatchewan, and his defense plays great. But then this game, I didn't hear him at all. Maybe I was paying to other things, but like it was blatant how well I could hear Sorry on the bench. Didn't hear him once. And it, I just look at that team, and there just doesn't seem to be anybody willing to step up and set the tone. And I'm not around the Toronto Rock as much as I am around the Vancouver Stealth. But for two teams that, you know, ultimately are in the two big hotbeds for guys wanting to play. Guys want to play in Vancouver. Guys want to play out in Toronto because it's close to home. You know, guys want to play in Colorado because that organization is run as good as, if not better than anybody else. Guys want to play in Buffalo because it's full rinks. Guys want to play in Calgary because it's a big barn. But Toronto and Vancouver are franchises that are really based around guys from that area. I can't remember who wrote it or who said it. Like, Toronto is all Ontario guys, except for Luke Magnan and Patty Merrill. Like, I think they're both Quebec-born, but Patty's lived in Ontario pretty much his whole life. And Toronto's become a place for guys to go later on in their careers. Vancouver is a spot where guys out west just want to play there because it's close to home. And unfortunately... In talking to a few people within that organization and who aren't with the organization anymore, unfortunately, it's a bit of a country club. And it's unfortunate. I don't like saying that. But there's, from the people that I I have talked to, there's no accountability. And that starts from the top down. It starts from Denise Watkins, the owner, through Doug Locker, through Dan Perot, through Curtis Hodgson, Cliff Smith, Reese Dutch, and then everybody else. But somebody needs to grab that team, shake it really hard, wake them up, or start breaking branches off and let a new tree build. Because if they keep Putting performances like that at home, I don't know if they'll have a home much longer. Looking ahead of games this week in the National Cross League. Uh, Andrew McBride is going to join us. Um, I didn't say this earlier on. I usually kind of get to that stuff, but uh, a lot of times I just I, I just go off. Um, so Brider's going to join us here in a little bit. Uh, I talked to him uh, earlier on Tuesday. He is in Montreal. For a conference uh, with Alberta Lacrosse, um, so we'll talk to him in a bit. But uh, games this week, it's a very busy weekend in the National Lacrosse League. Um, five games on schedule, two Friday, three on Saturday. 
Toronto is at home. They take on the Georgia Swarm. Uh, a rematch of a game played earlier this year. Uh, Toronto went into Georgia for their home opener down in Gwinnett. And Toronto lost 12-7. So they get a bit of a rematch. They're back home. And for everybody involved, they really hope that things go right. And they can finally get themselves in the win column. Because if they go 0-5, then what do you do? That's for another conversation. Uh, That's an 8 p.m. Eastern time start, which is odd. Uh, Colorado is at Saskatchewan also Friday night. That could be the game of the weekend. Um, Colorado, obviously 4-0, tops of the table. Saskatchewan defending champs, 1-1. So we'll have to see how Saskatchewan bounces back after a uh, tough home loss to Vancouver two weekends ago. And then on Saturday, Buffalo at New England, which will be another good battle, uh, battle of the orange and black, as it were. Uh, down at the casino in Uncasville. That's a 7 p.m. Eastern start. Georgia at Rochester. So the Swarm play back-to-back weekends for the first time in their young franchise history. And then the I'm calling it the marquee game because it's the matchup on TSN here in Canada. Colorado at, no, that's not right. Um, Vancouver at Calgary is the big game for everybody. TSN 5 in Canada, TSN Go Network and Watch ESPN. All other, the other uh, four games this week are on Fox Sports Go. And we're going to start to see some things play out nicely, I think, after this weekend. We'll be five weeks in. Everybody will play it at least three times. Some more, some less. No, three times at least. Um... And we could see some separation. Like Vancouver and or Calgary will gain will gain a game, but Colorado could be five and zero, oh, and pretty clear of almost everybody else by two games. Buffalo, Rochester, New England, all two and one. Georgia's right there nipping at their heels. So we could the East will stay pretty tight. The West could see some separation um, and yet still stay tight. The Colorado slowly, like, if they go 5-0, and I don't even know. Like 5-0 and to start the year, and at best, at best, second place is going to be 2-1. and That's at best. It's crazy. It is crazy. Uh, one of the couple things I want to get to before we get to Brider. Um, because it's a long interview, I'm not going to lie. He and I get to talk, and we get to talking, and we talk. So uh, bear with me. I uh, just want to get a couple things out of the way here. Uh, I had a conversation, a lot of good conversations with lacrosse people this week. Um, I talked with Steve Govett Saturday night at the Langley Event Center for the Stealth Game um, before that one, and even after we had a good, good little chinwag. And... We started talking about the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, who tentatively will be in this spot here next week with me for a candid one-on-one chat. But one of the things that we have to do as a lacrosse league and a lacrosse culture and a lacrosse community is 
is as we've all talked about, especially here, find ways to get our game to more people. And it may not seem like a big thing, but having one ticket salesperson, having two or three ticket salespeople isn't really helping you get your product out there. And the example that was given to me was, you know, Colorado has like eight ticket salespeople working for them. They're a bit of an anomaly because they have Cronky Sports Entertainment behind them. So they have the ability, ability to get more people. Now, one of the things Nick Sakevich wants to do is have everybody get up to a certain standard and start to build a manual of how to run a team properly. And one of those stages or steps is going to be to have a set amount of people selling tickets for you. So this is where the example came in. Toronto has three people selling tickets for them. And on a Thursday night game, they got 9,000 people, which is pretty respectable when you look at the grand scheme of Thursday night games in this league or even non-Friday, Saturday games in this league. So it was a good number. Now, if they had five or six people selling them or seven and eight people selling tickets for them, that just means more people they can reach to help and try and get into seats at the ACC. Rochester has been told to get two or three more people on their staff to start selling tickets. And teams are going to start to do this because the owners have put time, effort, and a lot of money into bringing the new commissioner on board. And you're not going to bring this guy in for all of his worth and expertise and knowledge and then not listen to him which I think is massive because with the faith and trust the Board of Governors and the owners have put in Mr. Sakevich to understand his business model has worked. There's been times where it hasn't, but for the most part, what he's done has worked. And he understands that we have to start building off the foundation and start putting in the right bricks in place. So that is a huge step in the right direction. And it's, again, it's a little thing. And he's going to be doing a lot of little things that people may not see as, as added value. But it goes a long way. And I think that some of those little itty-bitty things will help give this league more opportunity to grow. One other thing. Um, we saw it almost back-to-back in that Toronto-Buffalo game, was uh, the crease rule. And the crease rule is so hard to call, mostly because it's such a bang-bang play all the time that, you know, the refs have to watch the feet, they have to watch the plane of the goal and the ball and everything all at the same time. So it's, sometimes it's tough. So, first of all, the actual wording of the rule is Rule 67.6. Shooter increase prior to ball crossing the goal line. And the rule says, An attacking player while shooting who makes contact with the crease 
prior to the ball completely crossing the goal line will result in no goal and a possession infraction. There's a caveat and a bold. Should an attacker shoot the ball resulting in the ball contacting the goalie and then contacting the defender and the ball travels across the plane of the goal, a goal shall be awarded provided the shooter is out of the crease prior to the ball completely crossing the goal line. And then the next rule is 67.7, which is contact with the goaltender. A crease violation occurs when contact is made between the attacking player and or stick and a goaltender while the attacking player is in the crease. Note, a goaltender who reaches out with his stick and make contact with the attacker who is in the crease is not a crease violation. Next note, an attacking player while in the crease who makes contact with the defender and whereby the defender then makes contact with the goalie the attacking player shall be called for a crease violation. And it goes on to incidental contact. At the discretion of the referee by an attacker who is in the act of shooting on a goalie and make contact with his body or stick, which in no way affects the ability of the goaltender to attempt to make a save or play the ball, shall not result in a crease violation provided the ball enters the goal. If the ball does not enter the goal from the attacking shooter, and contact is made within the crease between the player and the goalie and the shooter, play will be blown down immediately, possession awards the non-offending team. So, you have to, there's, there's a lot of discretion. So, in essence, if I shoot the ball, it has to go completely in before I touch down on the crease. Okay? I'm okay with that. No, I'm not. I lie. I would like the rule to be this. If I shoot the ball, as long as I shoot the ball and it's out of my stick before I touch the crease, it shouldn't matter. As long as I have released it before I touch the crease, it shouldn't matter how long it takes to go in the net. It may sound weird. I, I just see so many goals disallowed because I've shot the ball or a player has shot the ball and his momentum is taking him through the crease, but the goalie makes a save and it trickles in. For me, and when I talked to Brian Lemon from the National Lacrosse League about this, he said it's it all comes down to, you know, interfering with the goaltender and does the player disrupt the goalie's ability, ability to make the save and this is and I I argued with him and I said well why don't you just if I release before you get in the crease fine if I touch the goalie uh, disrupt his ability to make the save fine it's crease but it shouldn't matter if I shoot the ball and it's in the air and then I touch the crease and maybe some goalies will come at me and, and tell me sort of why it, it is. But in the Toronto-Buffalo game, the first one might have been Beerns. I can't remember. But he shot and was, and was through the crease, and then the ball went in. He was clearly outside of the crease before the ball crossed the line but the goal doesn't count because even though he shot the ball before he touched the crease, he ran through the crease before the ball crossed the goal line, 
even though he didn't interfere or deter cause from making the save, it doesn't count. We're losing too many good goals, goals period, because of this rule. It should be as black and white as this. If your foot is on the line or in the crease and the ball is still in your possession, the goal doesn't count. If you release the ball and then touch down in the crease, it's no harm. I don't get it. It's it's one of those rules that has always bothered me. And the the league saying that it's to it's per, partly to protect the goalies but also to you know help the referees because of interference for the goaltenders. Well, if he gets interfered with, he gets interfered with. Maybe one day it'll change. Maybe one day it'll change. Now, as mentioned, uh, earlier today I caught up with Andrew McBride and uh, we had a great phone conversation, so the audio will be a little different than... You know, me using this fancy, dancy studio microphone. Um, but I was able to catch up with Brider. He was on the road in Montreal. I hope you enjoy this very candid, um, often poignant, and very insightful conversation with the former captain of the Calgary Roughnecks, Andrew McBride. A longtime friend of the show, one of my good buddies, former Calgary Roughneck captain, recently retired, and a man of many hats, fancy short-brimmed hats. He is Andrew McBride. Brider, how are you? Good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, my hat collection's taken. I, I gotta, I gotta revamp that and get her going again. You've taken a lot of grief from that hat collection, haven't you? Oh man, I take a lot of grief from everyone. That's actually That's probably one of one of the nicest things about being retirement is not getting the gears from the guys every day. <laughs> um, let's talk about that. Uh, the retirement from the Calgary Roughnecks and lacrosse in general is never um, an easy decision to make. Where did the decision come from? Uh, for you to finally say, you know what, enough's enough. Yeah, you know, I think it was a combination of things. I'm, I've been so fortunate enough to play 13 years, and uh, it's such a commitment and such a dedication to play at that high level. And I didn't want to disrespect the game. I didn't want to disrespect my teammates um, in the process of playing professional lacrosse. Do I think mm-hmm. I could have still played? Absolutely. Were other time commitments taking my time? Most definitely. And when you're not prepared to put in 100% effort, when you have things pulling you in a different direction, then you really have to look it in. You know, the Roughnecks were in a unique situation where you could see the writing was kind of on the wall and they were going a different direction. And Mm -hmm. the game of lacrosse has owed me nothing. And sitting down with with my wife and I think welcoming a little baby girl into the thing had made things easier. But being a month and a half, two months into the decision, it was definitely the right time for me. Everything's kind of fallen into place. Do I miss the game? Absolutely. Do I miss the compete, uh, the camaraderie of the guys in the dressing room? For sure. But it's replaced with other things. And I'm very one of the fortunate guys to be able to continue with my life in lacrosse from a coaching aspect to a working aspect to a, a grassroots development. So I'm very fortunate lacrosse will continue to be a part of my life. And I want to talk about uh, your, your endeavors now in the lacrosse world in a minute. But for me, when I retired, and I know a lot of the guys, the one thing that that I missed the most, and most guys, was just that bonding with the guys and getting out on road trips and, and flights around the country and staying in hotels. What was your favorite part of just being around the guys? I think just being with like-minded people, being with people pushing for a common goal. You know, whenever 
you're with a group of men and, and it could be the same in business. It could be the same in life, you know, growing up with a group of friends for people. But whenever you have a group of men in an organization pulling in one direction to win a championship, to, to battle against another team, to put the Calgary Roughnecks as, as the face of what you're trying to do, it's something that's really special. And speaking to guys last year, I know that that kind of retired in the transition. I think I spoke and really appreciated last year a lot more. Was it a tumultuous year for sure? Probably the toughest year of my pro career, but I really did enjoy the bus rides that maybe the younger guys were were complaining about, the long fights where you get to spend time and, and just a little things about being around teammates. So I think it is definitely that. I think in Calgary, we're really fortunate where I'm still in touch with a lot of these guys. I talk to them on a daily basis. Uh, there's some of my lifelong friends with Devin Ray, Jeff Snyder, the Carnegie brothers here in Calgary. So it's still a big part of my life, but you, you definitely miss the little things of working together and trying to strive for a common goal. The common goal is, is one thing, you know, working towards a championship is, is another, but playing pranks on the road and joking around with the guys in the locker room was always one of my favorite things. Do you have a favorite road story? I think just card games, you know, there's lots of times that we've, you know, over the years played cards with Tracy Koleski and Josh yeah. Sanderson and Terry Sanderson. I remember, uh, being on the bus with Terry Sanderson and Troy Cordingly and not having very much money as, as most lacrosse players don't, especially being a young one and playing a game called guts and post. Yeah. And Terry's making up all these rules before you know it, you're down $400. with no way to pay it. And, and he and Troy are grinning from ear to ear and the older guys and Caleb and, and uh, Josh are, are laughing at you. And, and those are kind of the things that you'll always remember. I mean, you remember going on the floor and battling You're remember specific games but it's the the road trip and the like you said being with the guys and just enjoying their time and company is is the stuff that really will you will remember for a long time you talked about your connection with the calgary guys still and obviously being a calgary guy you are there you're seeing guys you're at the games are they in a good spot right now they're one and two they got a big game this weekend against the stealth are you seeing this team missing Sean Evans or is it just a bit of a culture shock with all the changes that went in? Well, I think they're definitely missing Sean. I mean, whenever you take a guy that's such a polarizing individual, whenever you take a guy that's the, not only the MVP, but he's such a catalyst for the fans, for the, for the roughneck environment. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're going to miss that. I think the one thing with the change you've made um, in the roughnecks, and it's not even pumping my own tire, but guys like Jeff Snyder retiring, Guys like myself, Jess Molesky, I think I think an attribute that we all had was compete and heart and fire and passion. And it's not a slag on saying that those guys don't have it on the roughnecks now, but I think those are traits that you, and I know myself, was very proud of as a lacrosse player. There's not many games in my 230 games as a roughneck that I came off the floor and said I didn't compete and do everything I can for, mm -hmm. for not only my teammates but the fans. And you know what, Calgary's got a great team. They've got lots of pieces that are in the right direction I think from a goaltending standpoint I think they have the best three goalies in the league I think from an offensive standpoint you get guys that are going to score 40 or 50 goals and you have lots of guys coming off successful summer seasons with Dan McRae, Carson, the Harnett brothers guys that have won at every level so mm -hmm. will the Roughnecks be fine absolutely do I expect them in the in the west final for sure and uh, can they win a championship in the near future or not or this year absolutely and I think the organizational standpoint from a coaching standpoint uh, there is a lot of great things going on in Roughnecks land. Is it a different team? For sure. And maybe it was good for the young guys. Maybe it's time that, you know, 
because we're polarizing guys, you know, myself mm-hmm. and Evie and, and Snides, we're, we're polarizing not only on the floor, but in the community. And sometimes it's nice to hit the reset button and be able to give those guys an opportunity to make a name for themselves and to make a spark for themselves. It's interesting to see the, the sort of new look of this team and some of the new guys that are coming in, but they still have a pretty good core group of guys. And, and I don't think people give the Carnegie's enough credit for what they do. No, not, I think Scott Carnegie's, probably one of the most underrated defenders in the league. Like Mm -hmm. him and Mikey have a track record going back to junior winning man cups with Brampton in the summer, just being stay at home, great individuals, not only players, but off the floor in the dressing room. And I think that's something that the Roughnecks have always taken pride in from back in the day with Trace and Caleb to when Josh was here to when all the original, my first year on the team with Grant Hamilton and Rob DeZormo (laughs) and guys, Tyson Lyas, guys like that. It's always been a culture of, um, professionalism, culture of working as a team, culture is a lot of great leaders on and off the floor. And uh, there is a lot of guys in Roughnecks that are going to be not only great players, but superstars in the league. Like Carson Leung is going to be a superstar. Westberg is going to be a superstar. Dan McRae, probably another one of those underrated guys. So there's lots of guys that, that, that can pull in the right direction. It's just the nuances of the NLL. It, it's such a bizarre, it's such an interesting league that there's so many moving pieces that need to get put in the right direction and play out over a long time. And I think that's a, a good thing and a bad thing in the NL. You're never out of it. You're, you're yeah. always going to have a chance, and I expect them to have a chance right down to the to the wire. I want you to describe um, five players for me. Um, yeah. Describe Tracy Kluski. Uh Passion, heart, the tenacity of a warrior, um, someone that's willing to, to lead by example, not only on the floor but off the floor, and a, a guy that I would take on my team any any day of the week because – he did things that you can't even express. He's one of those guys when you say, hey, how was Tracy Kalaski? You just can't even put to words what the guy brought to the to the arena and what he brought to a floor. And uh, for a guy of his stature and heart, you're never going to find a guy that, that has more passion and, and more willingness to do what it takes to be a champion and a winner. Caleb Toth. Caleb, uh, probably one of the hardest guys that I've ever checked. I remember coming huh. to the training camp. He, I was like, this guy is, I got to try to check this guy. Like this guy, he can fight, he can score, uh, he can drink with the best of them. He, he's just the kind of guy that you want to be around. You talk about when I first moved to Calgary, he was like the mayor of Calgary. Every single person when I mentioned I play lacrosse, hey, do you know Caleb Tulse? Oh, Caleb Tulse, me and I go back. And still to this day, when I mention I play lacrosse, people say, hey, I knew Caleb Toast. So he was uh, a polarizing figure in the community of Calgary, continues to be, um, and just a guy that could do it all. Like one of those guys that like, hey, man, if you want to be a lacrosse player on all avenues, you know, you talk about all these young transition guys. Well, Caleb was like that guy, except add like a degree of toughness that you would not want to mess. You didn't see it often, but when you did, it was, let's stay away from Caleb because he's going to get all fired up here. Jeff Snyder. Probably one of the guys that has the most passion and hate to lose I've ever met. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a quality that's really lacking in kids today. It's a quality I try to find in the kids I coach. But the willingness to do things for the betterment of your team is something that Jeff Snyder really strives for. It's interesting how I've gotten to know Jeff over the years. We've become actually really good buddies. But the thing around the NLL was Jeff was, you know, he was selfish. He'd make bad Mm -hmm. decisions. He was fiery. But people really misunderstand that Jeff was doing everything he could to win. He was doing everything because he thought it was the right thing for the team. And you're not going to see a guy that's going to sacrifice his body, that's going to do more to spark a team. And 
hate to lose, man. That's a, that's a trait that's going away. And Jeff Snyder generally hated to lose. And I, I miss our time on the floor, Chirp and other guys. I miss our time stirring the pod. I miss our time uh, battling together in a corner. But you always knew that if I called Jeff Snyder right now and I was in a pinch in some foreign country, he would he would have my back. And that's, uh, that's something that I always respected about Jeff. Kurt Malofsky? Kurt Malofsky is the kind of guy that just breathes and lives lacrosse. You know, he's the ultimate competitor. He wants to win more. I, I think he's probably the best X's and O guys in the league. He has a, an IQ and a smartness about him that not a lot of people have. I think one of the things, and especially in Alberta, and even with these younger kids coming up, is a lot of people don't understand the game of lacrosse. If I tell a kid, hey, what's the first thing you're trying to do when you get to lacrosse? You still want to get to the middle of the floor. He has so much knowledge and intangibles when it comes to teaching the game of lacrosse. Um, he is a guy that's uh, another guy. All these four guys you've mentioned just hate to lose and the passion and the will. And you don't make guys like this. And I think Kurt's done a great job from a standpoint of making a transition from coach to player. He, he runs a tight ship. He runs a ship that he expects a lot from guys. Um, and you want to win for Kurt Malosky. That's the kind of guy he is. Andrew McBride. <laughs> I think a guy that, uh, really looks out for, for his teammates and, and plays with passion and heart. Um, I, I really try to take pride in I'm always going to go out there and compete. I might not be the best player on the floor, but I'm always going to be the one that's trying to bring some energy. I'm going to try to bring a, an attitude that, that guys want to come and respect and play for me. I want to bring a, a leadership quality where I can go out on the floor to grind. And, and I think people and players around the league respected me for that. They respected me for the the honest effort that I would put onto the floor. They would respect me. Probably the biggest compliment I get was, man, I hated to play against you. Man, you're a pass out there. You're super annoying. And to me, that's what an ultimate competitor is. You want to make it so tough and so aggravating and so frustrating that you don't want to go on the floor with me. And, and when you do go on the floor with me, you, you know I'm going to be there. And I, I think that's something my parents installed on me is that you would go on there and you make an impact. Can you go over the line sometimes? Yes. Uh, can I be hot-headed? Absolutely. But the passion and the love for the game and the, the compete level took me a long way, and I continue to live my life like that, and I, I hopefully will pass that trade on to, to my young children because I know putting my parents, passing that on to me was something that really served me well. I got to say, you were damn annoying. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, and you know what? <laughs> L- lacrosse, lacrosse is the sport where you can be damn annoying. And be super yeah. Absolutely. Um Give the NOL is in 30 years of lacrosse. They they announced their top 30 players of all time. Um, do you have a top five? I would probably have to put John Tavares there as number one, just because he's the kind of guy that was a jack of all trades. He could chirp with the best of them. Um, he could do it all from a standpoint of of scoring. He had highlight reel goals and just the longevity. I think people don't realize how hard it is to play lacrosse. I guess also up there watching growing up, I I, also, I thought Tommy Marichuk was a great player growing up. Um, guys like Andal, Andy Ogilvy I respected. Patty Coyle is a guy that liked to see guys getting greased and, and would do the ultimate thing to compete. I don't know if you can do a top five for me. The Gate brothers are obviously up there. Trace, Josh Sanderson. Um, I've, I've played with so many guys that I respected that for me a top a top five would be hard. I think the generation and the way the game's changing now it's such a free flowing way. Like there's so many different people you could put into different categories from old school defenders to two way players to pure scores um, that it's tough to do. But I was super fortunate to be able to play with some of the greatest lacrosse players of all time. Guys, I had a lot of respect for 
people not only from that were my coaches but players that I still try to draw the traits that they had and try to pass those on to younger kids when I'm doing a camp or doing the coaching and uh, those people I will always be really uh, you know they they taught me a lot and I will always remember to pass those messages on. Now I want to stick with the NLL for a couple more things. Um, Do you think the NLL is in a good place right now? Obviously a new commissioner is in. uh, He has uh, some big ideas for the future of the game. Let, let's not talk about what's happened in the past. Let's talk about today and moving forward. Is the league in a good spot? It's it's the foundation of the house is in a good spot. Doesn't need to have the nice doors, the fant- a couple floors, the big roof, the backyard. Yes. Do I think there's some teams and the organizations that have left ground roots in their community that are continue going to continue on for 20 years? Absolutely. Is there things that need to be addressed that can be changed right away? I think there is five to 10 things that could immediately be changed that would greatly impact not only the growth of the NLL, but the growth of sport in whole. I think the new commissioner from what I've read about him from his resume is absolutely the perfect hire for the job. Mm-hmm. George Daniels was a great guy. He did a lot. The past commissioners have done well, but the thing that the NLL really needs to do, it needs to go out on a business front, develop professional relationships expand the fan base, be very, very cognizant of understanding what the kids in the game needs today from a media standpoint, from uh, getting it out on an Instagram standpoint, from a, from a platform of TV and moving forward. I think the best thing about the game of lacrosse right now is the influx of kids playing lacrosse and the skill and the quality of the players. If you have that, I remember I, I used to date uh, one of the toy goals and I remember sitting down and Ron toy said something to me, he goes, ah, oh, one thing about lacrosse, you guys got the product on the floor, and that's the hardest thing in business. You don't have to mm-hmm. come in and dress it up and do what you need to do because the game speaks for itself. And that was 12 years ago. And now seeing yeah. the caliber of these players, seeing what they can do from a statement um, is really exciting. Has the infrastructure gotten to where it needs to be? Is there things that need to go forward to help it? Yes, it did. in my yeah. opinion, absolutely it does. And hopefully – uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, you're going to see 16 teams. You're going to see 20 teams. And and uh, people all over the world are going to enjoy professional lacrosse. Who's in the tougher position, the Vancouver Stealth or the Toronto Rock? From an organiz- organizational standpoint or a player standpoint? Both. Well, I think the Toronto Rock, and, and i got a lot of guys I respect on that team. Kimmy uh, Dawick has always been super nice to me. Um, there's a lot of players on that team who have done things that will not be replicated on the team. I think watching the games, and I pretty much watch every NL game to the chagrin of my wife, who thought I would be not watching any of the games anymore. Um, I I think from the Rock standpoint, they might be getting a little bit old. And and Mm -hmm. that's not a a slight on any of those guys, man. Like Brody Merrill is one of the fiercest competitors. Patrick Merrill, Sandy Chapman's win, what, six or seven NL championships. Numerous man cups, Colin Doyle. But the way the the league is going, and you can point to the Georgia Swarm, that's the way the league is starting to go. And it's very hard to come in and compete on a level. And I think the the other big thing is life, man. This is not a professional job. This is not – if I could focus on lacrosse and that's all I needed to worry about to pay my mortgage to support my family, I could play till I was out. But those guys have kids. They're older. They have responsibilities. They have jobs. They have travels. And it's just human nature. Those things get in the way. The Vancouver Stealth, on the other hand, I think 
Um, tough market in Vancouver. I think the only way that's going to succeed is if you're in a professional NHL building. I think that it's tough to draw fans there. It's too multicultural. It's too unique. It's it's a very dynamic thing. And I related a lot to Edmonton. The fans like a winner. And, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, they haven't won at home. So it's tough to really drum up what you're trying to do if you're not going to if you're not going to tell the fan base, "Hey, come to our game because we're going to win." Here's yeah. the experience. I liked what Doug Locker did in the offseason. I thought they made a lot of good moves. The one area of concern for me is goaltending. I think oh, yeah. that in the NLL is is just one of the biggest. And you've seen it the past years. The teams that win are the teams that have great goals. The, the um, thing with me, the thing I, I want to keep you on that, and we'll kind of just digress from that, but I, I, I think there is a lot of good goaltenders in the game of lacrosse right now. My worry is that if there are 16 teams, I don't know if there's 16 starting goaltenders playing lacrosse right now. Well, I think the issue about goaltending is it takes so long to develop a goaltender. The other issue, and I'm seeing it in the province of Alberta in my technical director thing, is goaltenders are not – there's no one leading them. There's no No. goaltender camps. There's no video sessions. There's no one that can really – Say, hey, here's this is I'm the top notch goal. Like Aaron Bolt started a couple camps, but he's mm-hmm. busy playing pro lacrosse. He's busy doing what he needs to do. So the goalies do not get a lot of direction as young kids growing up and developing, and that's probably the most important position that you need to develop players. Yeah, that's um, a great point. Yeah, and that's really hurting the game because it takes a long time for the and you throw them in, and not only is it hard to develop a goalie, goaltending is a tough position, man. Like it is a unique, it is a pressure field. You are either the hero or the goat. There's no two ways about the the position of being a goalie. It's probably the hardest position lacrosse and probably gets the least attention from a development and skill standpoint, trying to get these young kids ready for the professional level. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. Um, Your time with the Alberta lacrosse association has been fruitful, has been uh, up and down. But the game is growing in Alberta, and we are seeing a lot of people take big strides to grow the game now. Is Alberta catching up with the with the BCs and Ontarios? I think Alberta is definitely catching up. I think the interest for lacrosse is huge. What the Roughnecks have done in the rush, to a certain extent, have has really motivated kids to get into the game of lacrosse. Lacrosse is a sport when you take it out to the school, when you take it out to grassroots, that kids love. I'll give you an example. We went to two schools this past weekend in Medicine Hat, pretty small town. Yep. We did a try lacrosse day. We had 31 kids sign up for lacrosse, brand new kids. Awesome. So, so the development of, of putting a stick in a kid's hand is there. Is it growing? Yes. Is there issues? And I'm sure there's issues in all sports. Definitely. And I think the thing about Alberta is we're, we're a generation or two behind in people that have kids giving back to the game of lacrosse. And you can see right. it on Ontario. There's, you know, three or four generations now. The same with BC. You got guys like Chris Gill, Dan Stroop, Darren Fridge, people on the island that are coaching their 15- and 16-year-old kids, and they're coming. Yeah. And lacrosse, the number one issue we run into Alberta is trying to find good coaches. When we do find good coaches, they're either hockey dads, soccer moms, play basketball at a collegiate level, really great athletes. But lacrosse is such a sport that you really, really have to, A, spend a lot of time learning it, B, try to develop a a coaching model and a plan to help these kids, and C, it takes a long time to do that. So Mm -hmm. finding coaches to to relay the message uh, is a big issue. 
what's the what's the key to growing lacrosse in Canada? You think? A model and a restructure from the top down. Yeah. It, from the NLL down, from the WLA, from the junior league, things are not working. This world is such a fast-paced world with technology that you got to be ahead of the curve. And I and I really think that lacrosse is behind the curve in a few areas. Does that yeah. mean people are doing a bad? No, not at all. Does that mean people that have done and put tons of time in from a higher level are doing the wrong thing and are not passionate about the game? Absolutely not. But I keep hearing for the last 15 years of the same issues, mm. the same problems. So if we're really as a whole, as a lacrosse group, understand what these issues are, then we're going to have to do drastic measures to try to change this. Will yeah. it work? Who knows? Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe we fall on our face. But until we try a rescaling and a retooling of things, we're never going to know, and I think that's going to hold lacrosse back. And I think that's like that's an incredible point because you see business models and, and people who own businesses when when they go through two, five, ten years of futility and and not seeing growth or not seeing a rise in stock, they break it down. Like they fire people, they they retool, they redevelop, they do everything. I don't think I've ever seen the lacrosse world do a complete redo. And I think that needs to be done. That exactly what you said, that from the top down, whether it be the CLA down or the NLL down, there needs to be an entire restructuring because there's too many people on different pages. Like Canada hockey and even now rugby Canada is growing massively because they have the right people in place and the structure coast to coast is there. Lacrosse is too divided. It is. And from a level of a rules perspective, from a yeah. governance body, from an individual club, there's a lot of people doing good things. But when you pull on a rope in 50 different directions, that ain't going to be the solution. It's almost like everybody needs to go and think and say, hey, this is what we're committed to do. Here's what everybody at the table agrees with. Here are the rash things that we're going to need to do. Does it mean that we're downplaying the history of lacrosse? Does it mean we're downplaying the Man Cup or the Minto Cup? No. But maybe for the growth of lacrosse, you have to cancel the Man Cup. Maybe yeah. you have to have a feeder league. Maybe the Minto Cup goes away. Maybe it's a all over from BC to Quebec to Nova Scotia. Maybe there's a whole league where it transfers. I do mm. not know the answers, but I know being involved in lacrosse in many different levels from a playing to now a, a coaching to an administration level, something needs to change if we want to take this to the mainstream. A group that you're involved with that does great work in bringing the game to different organizations is Right to Play. How has that changed your perspective on the sport? Well, I think there's a, there's a few groups that, that really try to understand what sport is all about. And I think the bottom line is, why do we get into sport? And I try to convey this message to parents, and I think even as a professional athlete in the past, you lose the message. Sport is not about scoring the most goals in lacrosse. It's not about having 50 different colorful sticks. It's about the lessons that you learn, teamwork, friendship, learning how to lose, learning how to win, competing for a job, like taking skills that you were going to learn on the floor and transferring them over to real life. And I think organizations like Right to Play who really break down the bare bones and go into communities that are suffering and, and try to teach people on how they can impact their community and give back from the most simplistic forms is 
is something that it's beautiful and something that we really forget about in Canada. Like there are a lot of First Nations communities. There are a lot of rural areas. There are a lot of areas in in Canada that don't have access and don't have the ability to achieve things that major center do. And I think right to play really gives opportunities for kids in communities that might not otherwise have it to say, hey, you know what, you're worth it. Hey, you can make a difference. These are the tools that we can help you with. Then you go teach five people. And I think that's yeah. why lacrosse has been so good for me is uh, I've been able to to help kids. I've been able to maybe, who knows? I mean, even when you see fans, anything that I can do to help promote the game of lacrosse or help give a kids an experience is something that I'm very fortunate to do. And I never, when I wake up, take that for granted. You know, that's that's something that as as human beings, um, that if we can impact one or two people's lives, then you can look yourself in the mirror and say, "Hey, that's something that's gonna that's gonna make this the world a better place." And Right to Play is a great organization to to help facilitate those things. Um, you had a tweet a while ago about trying to bring um, better media to the game of lacrosse and, and and growing the game from a media standpoint. Um, you spent time in the radio industry. You spent time. Uh, at a pretty big radio station in Vancouver, or sorry, in Calgary, uh, doing your show for the Roughnecks the past few years. And, and in those inner circles, you hear rumblings of why people aren't covering lacrosse or why some of those people don't go to the NLL games. How do we get the media to to pay full attention to lacrosse? I think it's got to start with a uniform platform. I think like you said, now and you've seen in the past that the only time lacrosse is on TV is when there's a bench clearing brawl. Mm-hmm. And those days are gone. Like there's not fighting in lacrosse. Those aren't the things that need to, to generate the interest for lacrosse. I think yeah. from a media standpoint is you really need to tap into the forms of Twitter, Instagram, and getting on TV. And it's one of the issues from not only a club level, but from a level of exposure is kids nowadays and parents nowadays do not and are not going to get excited about lacrosse through a print article, yeah. through a short, you know, a short little poorly edited clip, a non-interactive website. The way things are going, it's technology savvy. It's instant gratification. So how can we tap into what these kids and what the young generation is going to do and how we can impact getting that to the TV networks. I think getting games on a mainstream, and I think the other big thing is informative announcers. Mm. It does our sport no good if people are in a position to promote the game of lacrosse that are not knowledgeable, that are not professional, that don't understand what it takes to take the platform to the next level. Because the viewer's experience of lacrosse is it's such a hard sport to follow if you're a new person. You need people explaining. You need little interactive segments that's going to draw the viewer back so their experience is going to be great and they're going to want to go to a game. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the big thing. How can we get his lacrosse onto a TSN? If you look at the CFL, when did the CFL really get big over the last six years? When they got on Thursday night football on TSN, yep. Friday night. And it really, they had panel shows. They had segments. They took to Twitter. They've they've really done a good job. And I think CFL players in general are are great on Twitter. They're good on social media. I know in Calgary, the Stampeders do a fantastic job on that, and it's really driven the popularity with young kids, and it's driven the popularity from a media and sponsorship standpoint. So I think hopefully with the new commissioner in the NLL, he's going to understand, and, and I think he does from what his background has said, that 
the media platform needs to get better. Like the NLL website, quite frankly, not that great. No. You know, it's it's not as good as it should be. Are there sites that are good? Like Colorado Mammoth, fantastic job. I think their Twitter this year has been exceptionally well, and they're doing different things to engage the fans. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need more of from a um before we let you go two things um you talked about the the you have to um hate losing than you more than you like winning how do we instill that mentality that is a good question that i do not know because i can find kids that want to score goals but i can't find kids that want to go into a corner and pick up a loose ball and think that's more important than scoring a goal i think the way the generation is going, it's going to be more and more difficult. Fighting out of the game of lacrosse, hey, maybe that's good. There's lots of concussions, I understand. But competing, uh, demanding excellence is is something that's getting lost. And and I don't really know how you do it because our mm-hmm. coaching style with me and we are hard on our players. And I've had lots of comments of people being like, oh, I don't know if we can come to a junior game. You and Dana are are yelling at your kids and you're competing. Yeah. Well, the reason we're doing that is because we believe in what we see of our kids and we want them to be the best players they can. I do not know how you can do that as a whole. I do not know how you do that from a from a kid's standpoint. And I think it's becoming harder and harder to find those type of, of kids and people because society's just kind of going away from that. I know you're busy. You're in Montreal. Uh for an event with uh, Alberta Lacrosse for Canada Sport, I wish you all the best. Um, congratulations on becoming a new father. That's got to be a great thing in your life right now. Amazing, probably one of the best things. And it's uh, you feel you feel very helpless and selfish when you have one, but it's been an exceptional time. And once again, I appreciate you getting on. And probably going to get. I, I hope I don't get in trouble for the comments, and I hope I don't come across as someone that has all the answers. But I, I think my passion for lacrosse is is just trying to grow the game. And, and I've never been a selfish person. Maybe I would have been a better lacrosse player if I was more selfish. But for me, this this game of lacrosse, it's the fastest growing sport in North America. The potential to be a world phenomenon is there. And I, I really, in all my comments I make, it's not a slight for people. I do not have all the answers. But I just really want to see lacrosse be able to live up to the potential. And I know there's people around this country and North America that are pushing it in the right direction. And uh, I, I just hope it gets here in my lifetime, and we can see it really taken to the next level. There he is, Andrew McBride, former Calgary Roughneck captain. As mentioned, um, he's won NLL titles with the Calgary Roughnecks, and he's been around the block. He's a a BC-born guy, grew up playing Ladner Delta. He's proud to be an Islander. And then, you know, he, he worked his way through the system. He, he played junior out here. He played senior out here. And he was a fiery competitor. He was annoying as all hell. But he played the game right. And he invested himself not only as a player, but as someone to give back. And he's worked tirelessly with, with minor teams, with junior teams, with Alberta lacrosse, with right to play, and so many other great organizations. You know, he was one of the big guys behind uh, the school program in Calgary, along with Dixon and and Dan McRae and Dane Doby and the Carnegies. Like, that group of guys really put in their time and do a lot of work in the community. 
But for Brider to say, you know, I hope people don't get mad at me for what I said. I don't have all the answers. That logic of not wanting to upset the apple cart is one of the things I actually really have a problem with in the world of lacrosse. Because people need to get thicker skins in this in this sport. Like, we pride ourselves on being rough and tough athletes who play one of the most physically demanding sports in the world, which we do. But people are so short-fused and have such thin skin that as soon as one person says something, um, you know, negative about their product, about their team, about their personnel, whatever it may be, people get defensive. And people start lashing back and, and, and get upset about it. When all people like Andrew, myself, Paul Tutka, Connor Wilson, who does incredible work for Lax All-Stars down south, if you haven't read his um, article about um, like the future of lacrosse and can it become mainstream, I highly suggest you go read it because it is extremely thought-provoking. And it's when people bring up these thought processes and these ideas and ways to better the game and grow the game and develop our young players. When people lash out at those thoughts, we're not getting anywhere. And that's a a huge thing that really bothers me is that we all want the game to go to the next level. And I'm probably going to say this every week on the show because there's always going to be something that irks me and it is all about getting this game to the next level but we can't keep getting defensive and arguing over things that need to be done to get lacrosse whether it be the National Lacrosse League the WLA the CLA in general like the CLA lashes out at people and and suspends people and fines them for giving comments and criticisms. And that's not a way... Like, if they blatantly... If, like, someone blatantly verbally attacks something, I get it. Like, if it becomes, like, a criminal thing, okay. But for people to voice an opinion... And to have people in organizations, teams, groups, leagues, whatever it may be, for them to, to you know, start calling people out when all they're trying to do is help just makes no sense to me. So I think as a lacrosse family, a continental, international family, we have to start working towards a common goal and not working away from it because we keep damaging ourselves when the product is the best thing we have. I was on with um, Mike Hancock and Rock Total Access on Monday and um, we were talking about the commissioner and, and he said, did you happen to catch when he was at the Georgia game? I think it was the Georgia game. And 
the play was going on, and he's having a conversation with the broadcast guys. And all of a sudden he said, oh, hold on, guys. I'm going to let you do your job. There's a breakaway or something's happening in the game. He understands that the best part about the National Lacrosse League, about lacrosse, is lacrosse. And so we have to find a way to get lacrosse as a unified body. One big, strong fist of fury. Then take that fist and start pushing it through walls that have been up against us for years. We need to go all Hulk smash and break some walls down and take this game to where it needs to be and stop spinning our wheels in mud because there are too many friends in lacrosse. And you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, if a person that works under you is your friend, how likely are you to chastise them or fire them or, you know, put the spotlight on them and say, hey, you're not doing your job or we need to change and unfortunately you're not helping us get there. It's not going to happen if that person is number two in your speed dial or someone that you hang out with all the time because lacrosse ultimately is a business. National Lacrosse League is a professional lacrosse league. Teams need to be run as a professional business. And if you can't see and get past that friendship, then you're not going to have success. I always used to laugh when um, Jeff and Sean Summerfield, who are Ontario guys, who came out to play for Victoria in the mid-2000s, in the twilight of my fancy career. And one of the things they always kept on saying, to especially a lot of us BC guys, was, hey, no friend-making on the floor. I never got it. I was like, what does it mean, friend-making? He's like, oh, you know, before the game, you're, you're going up and, and giving guys taps and dabs and, and shaking hands and catching up and talking about kids. Do that after the game. Like, when you come to play lacrosse, you come to be a beast, a warrior, and nobody on the other team is your friend. But too often, and it's because lacrosse gets played all year long, so guys go from being, you know, hated enemies to teammates. And so we have that friendship aspect of the game. And I got nothing wrong with playing against your best friend, hell, playing against your brother. But the Snyders were the perfect example a couple years ago. Colorado, Calgary. Jeff Snyder and Bob Snyder were in each other's grill grabbing each other's face masks. No friends. And for the game to grow, sometimes you got to make tough decisions. And sometimes you have to put your foot down. And there's some places around this sport, not just talking NLL. I'm talking MLL. I'm talking FIL. I'm talking summer box here in Victoria in minors. Sometimes tough decisions need to be made. And... They may not be the easiest, but that's why they're tough. And so for, you know, to get back rounded to this point of Enric Bide saying, you know, I hope people don't get mad at me because, you know, 
I don't have all the answers, but I have a lot of critiques. Damn right. You should have critiques. You should have people wanting to make your sport better. Especially guys that played in the league. Guys that put their blood, sweat, and tears for the sport and the league and to grow the game. Those are the people you should be listening to. Those are the people that you should be getting on your staff. Those are the people that you should be hiring to run your teams and run your leagues. Because they know. They've been through it. And with that, I will get off my soapbox. Well, you can tell everybody. Yeah, you can tell everybody. Go ahead and tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. It is that time of the week before we get you out of here. It is time to do our man of the week. And we could have picked a number of people. Uh, You could have gone with John Grant, Adam Jones, Calvin Crawford for the work that he did. Uh, Dane Smith had a fantastic game for Buffalo once again uh, with nine points, four and five. But sometimes you got to give love to the goaltenders. And Dylan Ward was the man this weekend uh full game against the vancouver stealth five goals against 50 saves on 55 shots he didn't face a lot of tough shots but when he was called upon he was there to make some incredible saves and you know people are are gonna say well vancouver's offense isn't that good i'm sorry you face the likes of reese dutch and Corey small and logan shuss and joel mccready He's facing quality, quality shooters. And he's turning them side left and right, left and right, left and right. Only five got past him. None in the fourth. Only two in the second half. And he was just that damn good. And one of the best things about him is that, you know, he he's, he's an extra outlet guy. And one of the better passers for a goaltender in the National Cross League. He just does a nice job. He's calm, he's composed, and he has a great defense playing in front of him. But when you take on Vancouver and you only give up five, you are the man. All right, so that'll about do it for us this week here on OTCB. Uh, went a little longer than normal, but I'm not on the radio. I can talk for as long as I want. And hopefully, and I'm thankful that you all stuck around and stayed with me until the bitter, bitter end. But we'll get you on your way. Again, five games this weekend, two Friday, three Saturday, four of the five are all on Fox Sports Go. The only one that isn't is the Vancouver at Calgary game Saturday night. You can find that one on your TV dial on Canada, TSN 5, on the TSN Go app, or on ESPN 3 if you are south of the border. And if you're outside of that, I can only hope you can find a TV or a computer to watch the game. My name is Teddy Jenner, at Off the Crossbar is where you can find me on Twitter, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. You can email me, say hello, love to hear from you. And you know what I'm going to say. 
We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.